0: Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
3: If you're a firearms enthusiast like I am, or you have one in your life, let me tell you about the industry's best-kept secret, Bear Creek Arsenal. This is a veteran-owned and operated gun manufacturer, Bear Creek Arsenal that is, based in Sanford, North Carolina. They make high-quality firearms at an incredible value. Learn more about Bear Creek Arsenal at bearcreekarsenal.com buck. Use promo code buck to get 10% off your first order. One more time, bearcreekarsenal.com/buck and promo code buck to get 10% off your first order.
4: Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater,
5: and this is your wake-up call.
4: Well, it's just about six after the hour now. That means that someplace, somewhere, Joe Biden is falling down a set of stairs. Now, I probably shouldn't, I probably shouldn't make fun of an old guy like that. After all, it wasn't like liberals or Democrats made fun of Donald Trump when he was uh, at an Air Force Academy or was at West Point when he walked down a ramp. That's all they talked about for a week. Biden can't make it up the stairs. And, gee, it's almost like it's been spite. Shocking, shocking. I am Jason Lewis, the talk show host formerly known as Congressman Jason Lewis, reminding Joe Biden that he will never, ever get my guns. I keep them upstairs. Welcome once again, everybody. It is so nice to be back on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. And what a special program we have for you today, especially this hour. We are going to welcome back Catherine. Catherine Limbaugh will be back on the program. I'll be talking to her about some really, really exciting news. As you know, regular listeners of the Rush Limbaugh program know Catherine and Rush loved small business. Not only did Rush start and create a whole industry with the Excellence in Broadcasting Network, but those two got together years ago and started a little tea making business, two if by tea if you recall. And they went through the travails of small business. Now this is near and dear to my heart because I grew up in a small business family. My granddad started it, then my dad had it, then my sisters and I ran it for a while until the government decided to build a freeway through our warehouse. People have no idea how difficult it is to start and run a small business. The single greatest social program the free market has ever created is a small business enterprise. Rush intuitively understood that. Then he lived it. Then he lived it again with Catherine, and she will be here. To tell us all about. I can hardly wait. This is a real honor for me, not only sitting behind the golden EIB mic once again and the Attila the Hun chair at the uh, uh, Institute for Advanced Conservative Studies, but to talk with Catherine will be a real treat. and, And we all hope she's doing well and we'll find out. I'm sure she is. She's persevering like all of us as we remember Rush one more time. And speaking of Rush, he had a great sound. A bite. We want to play it for you to kick things off on the importance of small business. Listen to uh, L. Rushbo here.
6: There's no question that small business is uh, the vast majority of employment in the country, and some could say the backbone. I do remember that we've, we've done a couple of instances of this, and it is inspiring to listen to individual stories of people describe how they started their businesses and why, and, and how they're working and why they are working.
4: Is that the truth. Uh, it, it, one of the th- my favorite pastimes is to read biographies. Um, I, I'm not much for for uh, fictional uh, pieces of work. I just like real life because it's so fascinating. In fact, I just read a read a great book on the late great Ben Hogan. Uh, he started a wonderful golf business, Hogan Golf Clubs, but the guy went through hell uh, before he got there. Uh, you know, his own family tragedies, and then the car accident, and then his injuries he had to deal with, and then starting a business. And that became his lifeblood. Small business men and women are not doing it for the money. I can testify to that. I've been in a small business. You have too. You're working 60, 70 hours a week. You're, in some cases, you're getting paid less than the people you hire because you need the talent. You're hoping that if you if you save enough and put it into retained earnings and equity, that you can retire. But it's a manifestation of your own desire of your own expression of self-worth. It just happens to be, as I say, <clears throat> the most important social program under the sun. In fact, as Rush said, um, small businesses accounts for, oh, it used to account, by the way, and this is a troubling trend, It used to account for over 50% of economic activity in the United States. It still accounts for about 44%, as of a couple of years ago, but the share is declining as corporatism takes over. Internationalism, globalism of the big, biggest companies getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You want to know why big companies feed at the trough and love regulation? It puts their smaller competitors out of business. It's called rent seeking in economic terms. And when you look behind the most onerous regulations, You will see lobbyists from the biggest international companies in the world. They can afford it. The big tech monopolies like it. They put small competitors out. But it is the small competitor that creates new things. Things that we don't even know we want yet are usually created in somebody's garage. If you take a look at the number of jobs created, the vast majority come from Small to mid-sized businesses in America. Now, when we were, when I was in the 115th Congress, and we were passing uh, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, something that was crucial to get this economy roaring ahead, so we could withstand COVID and now the lockdowns, and now it's going to come roaring back until Joe Biden raises taxes now on people making more than two hundred thousand. Notice the threshold is going down and down and down. That may have zero impact. Zero impact on somebody like, oh, I don't know, um, Susan Rice. Apparently Susan Rice is worth $38 million. She owns stock in Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, and sits on the board of directors of Netflix. Do you think she gives a wit about raising income taxes? She's got hers. There's nothing more frustrating, nothing more unctuous than a rich liberal. Because they're doing to people things they don't care about because they are set. And that is really the squeeze of the middle class that Trump represented, that Russia represented. And that is the wealthy are fine, the poor are in a myriad of social programs covering their health care, covering unemployment extension benefits, covering food stamps, covering shelter, covering stimulus checks, you name it. I'm not saying they're well-off, but they're taken care of. It is the middle class, the mom-and-pop shops paying the taxes, not qualifying for the bennies that make the economy go and are getting the shaft. So that's where we are. And if we don't, as Catherine will tell us momentarily, if we don't honor and encourage these small businesses, we're going to be left with a corporate socialism that does the bidding of the biggest corporations across the globe squeezes out smaller competitors, and then the cancel culture of which corporate America is behind will crush the rest of us. You know, I hate to use the overused term existential. It's just, you know, Washington, D.C., after having been there, my friends, Washington, D.C. is sort of like high school. If you're running around the, the, the Rayburn office building or the Cannon where I was, it's like you're, you're on the football team on Friday and you've got your jersey on. And everybody opens the door for you, sir, may I get this for you, sir, sir. That's what Washington, D.C. really is. It's high school for adults. Well, a few adults. Let's leave out the squad. Point being that they they become so fashionable, they get stuck on words and phrases. You see it on MSNBC, the nauseating Nicole Wallace or or whomever. You see it on CNN and all the left-wing, leftist corporate hacks who talk about Oh, he doesn't have the gravitas. That was a buzzword for gravitas. Then it was existential. This is an existential crisis. They are just like a bunch of of, of group-thinking high schoolers. And that's what struck me the most about all of this. Well, let me tell you something. There is no amount of stimulus a whopping 9% of which, this last COVID relief bill, $1.9 trillion on top of a $29 trillion debt, well over 100% of GDP. There is no stimulus plan, no Keynesian priming of the pump that will ever take the place of the engine of small business and the marketplace that creates things that we want, but we don't even know it yet. Hayek called it the fatal conceit. Government can never replace the marketplace because government doesn't know what to create. Government will subsidize a typewriter factory while everybody else is working on a word processor. That's what stimulus do. If you want to get this economy going again, go back to the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. When we lowered that top rate to 29% for small, non-C-corp, pass-through businesses, and what did we get? The lowest unemployment rate in 50 years. That's the way to do these things. So Catherine Limbaugh joins us momentarily. You know, Rush was always on the cutting edge, of societal evolution. That means he was in front of many of us, especially when it came to uh, doing certain certain things. I'll give you a perfect example. You can make a cell phone by pressing just four keys. That's right. You can make a cell phone by pressing just four keys. Pound two five zero. And saying a couple of words, you'll be connected to a company you will want to do business with. Rush gave us a reason whenever he talked about it. Pure talk.
6: Hey, folks, there's one sure bet ...that you can make this year, and that is you're going to use your cell phone more than you did last year. That translates to bigger cell phone bills. You're going to be paying more for it, unless you are proactive and do something about that. This is why so many people in this audience are switching their cell phone service from one of the big providers to Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers you unlimited talk, unlimited text and 6 gigs of data for just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't charge you if you go over your 6 gigs of data. Now you compare that monthly price, 30 bucks a month, to your current cell phone bill. Just compare it. Your current cell phone bill, I mean I would I'd say make a guess, but 75-80 bucks depending on how many lines and phones you have. Don't know what it is, but 30 bucks a month. For unlimited talk, unlimited text, 6 gigs of data. Now, here's the real icing on the cake. Pure Talk uses the same cell phone towers as one of the biggest cell phone service providers in America. They focus on providing great service and support with every Pure Talk employee located in the U.S. From your cell phone, do this. Dial pound 250 and say Pure Talk. Get started. You'll save 50% off your first month. That's pound 250 and say Pure Talk. Just pick up your phone right now. Pound 250 and say Pure Talk. Guess what? Somebody from there will answer, and you're off and running.
4: Oh, man, great to hear Russia's voice once again, and great to join Catherine Limbaugh. She's joining us next. I'm Jason Lewis on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. What
6: continues to fuel me is right in front of me and that's you and all of you out the american people
4: and we are back remembering america's real anchor man rush limbaugh on the excellence in broadcasting network greetings as rush would say music lovers thrill seekers conversationalists all across the fruited plain and greetings to a very very special guest i am so honored to have on this edition of remembering rush his widow Catherine limbaugh joins us Catherine, um, welcome back to the program. We've got a couple of exciting uh, announcements to to get into. But first, I just wanted to say what an honor it is to speak with you.
1: Thank you very much, Jason. It's a pleasure being back here with everyone.
4: Uh, It is. And I know we're going to do more of this. And everybody's excited about it, especially the listeners. I I would be um, remiss if I just didn't ask you how you're doing. It's been a little over a month. Uh, we're We're all remembering in that still phase of grieving and remembering. Rush, how are you doing?
1: Absolutely. You know, it's been tough. I'd be lying if I said it hasn't been. It's been very tough. But every day is a new day. And I have Rush's voice in the back of my head telling me we must carry on. And I know that's what he's telling all of you as well. So each day, that's what I'm trying to believe in.
4: I just have to say, as a listener of of Rush over the years and then getting into the industry, I, I will tell you flat out, I have never been more inspired by a human being the way he handled his his sentence, the way he handled the last year of his life, um, so many of us, Catherine, and you know him more than better than anyone, but so many of us would have said, "Where's the nearest beach? I'm I'm headed there." And Rush cared more about the audience, but he loved what he did, which kind of dovetails into this business recognition award that he stuck it out and inspired millions of people in the last year, not not just the last thirty, but in the last year especially.
1: That's absolutely right. Not coming onto the show was not an option for him. You should have seen him in the hospital. He would be trying to get out the door, taking his own IVs out, saying, I've got to get to the radio program. It's almost 12 Eastern. So that was that's where he wanted to be at, at all times, constantly.
4: That's where he was happiest, wasn't it?
1: Absolutely, without question. He loved this audience. He loved this program. All of that was completely genuine and if he couldn't be here, he was very, very remorseful about that.
4: Something else that, that stood out that was genuine over the decades, and that was his love of small business. I, I imagine it was his upbringing like mine. I grew up in a small business environment. Um, he, he intuitively understood the travails, how difficult it was, but how, how important it was as well. And then you two got together to I- expand upon that. Tell us a little bit about Two If By Tea.
1: Absolutely. We started 2FxT some years ago, really with the hopes of mastering manufacturing in the United States. We said, we want to know what it takes to create a product from scratch and also be able to hire Americans. So we started 2 fit with Rush Revere yeah. <laughs> as, the, as the cover of that. And we really wanted to go through all the hurdles that all of you do Um, to create small businesses here in the United States. And that's how it started. It was a small idea that grew into something huge. It ended up selling throughout the United States, thanks to this audience. And we supported um, the Marine Corps Law Enforcement Foundation through that business, as well as hired many Americans to be able to produce at the level that we needed to.
4: Yeah, my brother was in the Marine Corps, and I know that was near and dear to Russia's hard as well, but also, I mean, he did something that was really smart. Uh, he picked something he loved. He loved tea, didn't he?
1: He did. He loved tea and it also happened to coincide with the tea party time. <laughs> so <laughs> the <be>. two of, <laughs> convenient, the two of those together, it, it was just an idea that we had and we wanted to create here in the United States. We wanted to say, what can we do right here in the United States with everything being from the United States and hire Americans? to manufacture right here, and that's what we did.
4: So in the spirit of that, um, you've got a great little announcement you're gonna tell us about today with regard to a recognition a process and award and how people can can enter themselves.
1: Yes, I'm very excited to, to tell you all about this. First of all, Rush plans on doing this in February of this year. So unfortunately he was not able to, but we will continue what he plans. Um, as many of you have heard throughout many, many years, Rush firmly, firmly believe that you are the people who make this country work. He believes, and I believe that you mean you...
4: COVID stimulus plans
1: don't do it. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think he would he would counter that pretty strongly, <laughs> and mm. he would say it's the American people who make this country work. He would also say that you did build your small businesses and you do contribute to the American economy by providing goods and services, and that you all do hire and employ Americans who are in need of jobs and careers. I'm sure Rush would also say that you all put in the long hours, and you all take the risks, and to remember that absolutely no one can take that from you, nor should anyone take that from you.
4: Yeah, and, and it's the small businessman and woman who are not living high on the hog. They are working those 60, 70-hour weekdays. They are trying to save money to put back in the business time and time again. There is such a misnomer out there. They're not corporate 500 CEOs. They're not Susan uh, or, or uh, Susan Rice sitting on the board of Netflix or Barack Obama. These people are busting their hump to make ends meet and balance a budget.
1: That's exactly right and as, as we learned and many of you know it's difficult it's really challenging the hours are very long and it is hard but so many Americans are doing exceptional things building small businesses from scratch on just a little gem of an idea and I think that's something that rush always inspired in all of us that we could reach for the heights that we could create something out of nothing and that we could work hard to pursue the American dream. And that, just so that we all remember, the American dream is not over and it should never be over. So that is what kicked off this conversation that Rush and I had not too long ago. And again, he was going to start this in February, but unfortunately couldn't. So I'm here to, to tell you about it. what we are doing, continuing what, what Rush started, is in honor of Rush, We are creating the Rush Limbaugh Great American Business Award. And what this is, particularly now in this year of COVID, is we are taking stories from all of you who have been inspired by Rush in some way to create a business or go after a dream or hire other Americans or somehow contribute to what he says makes the country work. And we are asking you to nominate either yourselves or others. If you go to RushLimbaugh.com, there's a nominate tab at the top of the web page. And once we receive all of the nominations, I'm personally going to go through them on behalf of Rush with a small team. And we are going to pick the first recipients of the Rush Limbaugh Great American Business Award to recognize all of you who should be recognized in a very high way.
4: It's so important because we get the Emmys and we get the political speeches at the Academy Awards. And you have awards for this and awards for that. But no one awards the people you're going to do that to. And we're going to continue right after this. And great to be back remembering Rush with a very, very special guest Uh, this segment, of course, Catherine Limbaugh, on this wonderful new business, small business recognition award, uh, Rush Limbaugh's Great American Business Award. Catherine will now join Open Line Fridays here on the Rush Limbaugh program starting this Friday, March 26th, to take calls on this. And don't forget, folks. Nominations can be put in at rushlimbaw.com. That's RushLimbaugh.com. And you can finally reward someone who deserves it. I guess that's where I was going before, Catherine. Um, the, you know, these people just don't get their due.
1: That's right and this will be far more exciting than the oscars so <laughs> <laughs> I, are you going to get ricky jervis to emcee absolutely last. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i encourage i encourage you all to tune in because this will be far more exciting and also beneficial for for a lot of people but we are going to be doing this on friday this upcoming friday we are going to have special members of this audience who have been awarded the first rush limbaugh great american business award and we are, I am going to personally talk with each person and be able to recognize them in the way that they should be and also be able to provide a, a little gift here and there that I'm excited to share more about on Friday.
4: So it's really crucial people get their nominations in online at RushLimbaugh.com starting right now.
1: Yes, absolutely. There's a top navigation bar on RushLimbaugh.com and it says Nominate. If you click there... And, and tell us your story. Over the years, we've heard so many wonderful stories. Rush and I have talked about them at length from people who were inspired by Rush, who heard about small businesses that, that he once started and they wanted to do like him. Um, all of that is, is what we want to hear about, your personal connection to Rush, how he inspired you to create a small business or hire others, and really how your conservative values translate into you pursuing your own American dream.
4: Yeah. You talked about that a moment ago, Catherine. I thought it was really um, profound. That is somebody's got a great idea in their garage, in their basement, in their mind. And no one's thought about this before. No consumer, Has even thought about wanting this. You know, people always, and this is the problem with government intervention, as Rush talked about so much. They think, well, we're just going to give money to people. We're going to take money from from you and then give it to somebody else, uh, or we're going to borrow money on top of a $29 trillion debt and, and put our next generation in hock for perpetuity and then give that money to somebody else. And then that'll pump up demand for existing products. That's the old demand-side model. It never works because what people, what gets the economy going is somebody creating something brand new that nobody even
1: knows they want yet. Absolutely. That's the entire point of the United States of America. That's what makes us so incredibly great is the people who make this country work, small business owners in particular. Absolutely. As we can see, a lot of our friends at the border are coming (laughs) to join in the American dream. So it's it's a huge thing and we never can lose sight of it. And this will will help us to award that. When you two were talking about
4: two of by tea, but but I presume you spoke at length, though, just about the entrepreneurial spirit, the free enterprise system, you know, having a cup of coffee in the morning or a glass
1: of tea in the afternoon (laughs) um, on a regular basis. Right. Constantly. Constantly. We always talked about hard work, determination, and the principles of our founding and the exact purpose of why the United States is the United States. How small businesses can be started here. We don't have the same level of rules and regulations. We do have some, but we have a great start in being Americans. And with some inspiration, hard work, we do have the freedom to create here. And we're so fortunate to be in a country that allows that. And Rush and I talked about it at, at, at nauseum all of the time.
4: 1-800-282-2882. That's 1-800-282-2882. If we have time, we'll squeeze in a call or two for Catherine. That really is um, the key to America. And that's what Rush was trying to preserve for those three-plus decades. And, and really, <laughs> it, it's... I don't want to sound pessimistic because that was Russia's great attribute to always put a positive spin on things. But but we're at a crucial point here of keeping the American dream alive, making certain businesses like the ones we're going to honor have the, still have the opportunity. Um, with the cancel culture, with the overwhelming COVID stimulus packages that now total over $5 trillion, an overwhelming debt, now new tax increases coming down the pike, re-regulation, And really just this sort of institutional liberalism that surrounds us, a big corporation. And and, and talk a little bit about that, Catherine, the difference between small and mid-sized businesses and the Fortune 500.
1: Absolutely. Rush and I talked about this in great detail. Smaller businesses are usually run by people that are just trying to make each day work. They're working long hours. They're making ends meet in the least possible. hard way that they possibly can they are just trying to get through the day whereas fortune 500 companies can often be heavily supported there's nothing wrong with that it's just the people that we want to focus on are the small business owners are the people that have just a dream and they're trying to fill a void that's out there and they put in the time they put in the effort they put in the hours and they really don't get the recognition that perhaps some of the larger corporations do They might not get the support that some of the larger corporations do but that's really why we want to focus on individuals who start with a dream are inspired by conservative principles and go on to create something all on their own even if it's said that they didn't create it they did and they are and that's really who we want to award
4: and a lot of these small businessmen and women are what we call pass-through corporations. So they're c corp. So when that corporate rate gets lowered, it doesn't affect them because they're paying on their individual income tax return, which is why when we cut taxes when I was in Congress, it was so crucial because you had to cut the individual rates to help the small businessman and woman.
1: Correct. Absolutely. And especially in these times of of COVID where a lot of these small businesses can't go from one week to the next without having some kind of, of support, without the same sort of traffic that they're used to or the sales that they're used to. But in many instances, a lot of Americans have persevered throughout this time and have continued despite the challenges. And I know if Rush were here right now today, He would be saying, we can never lose sight of the American dream, regardless of what we encounter, regardless of the challenges, regardless of things like COVID that come in our way, unprecedented times that are are quite terribly challenging for all. You know, Rush started as a young boy shining shoes. He knew the importance of a dollar at a very, very young age. And of course, we all knew that he went on to be the greatest of all time. And he never lost sight of hard work. He never lost sight of what it means to be an American, the luxuries, the opportunities that we have, simply because we live in this incredible country. And he doesn't want any of you to ever to be discouraged or, or lose sight of that either.
4: Well, that is so well said, and that is going to be the great part of this legacy, the Great American Business Award. You need to go to RushLimbaugh.com so that you can petition, it could be yourself, could be a friend, could be a relative who's got a great small business. Then on Open Line Friday, starting March 26th, that's this Friday, Catherine Limbaugh will be there, and she'll be taking calls. She'll be talking to people who are nominated and get the award, and it'll just be fantastic and a great way to keep the legacy going, especially, Catherine, as you point out, uh, in in lieu of the COVID lockdowns, which disproportionately – hurt small businessmen and women. Yeah, Costco and Amazon and the big tech monopolies did great. That wasn't the case for small businessmen and women on Main Street.
1: Sure, that's absolutely right. A lot of people had to lay off their entire industry, their entire company, their all of their employees during this, this hard time. So, that's exactly why we want to say you know let's not let that take over our spirit let's not let those challenges of this year get in the way the american dream is still alive we still can accomplish the goals that we set out to to accomplish in in russia's honor in in many regards and inspired by him in many regards
4: introducing the great american let me let me rephrase that the Rush limbaugh great american business award On behalf of Rush, his legacy, and Catherine Limbaugh, it's at RushLimbaugh.com. That's where you can nominate folks, including yourself, for a Small Business Award. Then on Open Line Friday, starting this Friday, March 26th, Catherine will be back to take calls and talk about the folks and talk with individuals who were nominated. Catherine Limbaugh, uh, I just want to say it was an honor speaking with you today, and thank you for doing this, not only for Rush's sake and his legacy, but for that American dream you spoke so eloquently about.
1: Absolutely. I'm thrilled to do it, and I can't wait to talk to you and be able to share these stories. They need to be heard. They're great. They're fantastic, and I'm excited about it.
4: Catherine Limbaugh, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Jason Lewis, back with more on the excellence in broadcasting network. Man, wasn't that great uh, to hear Catherine's voice once again? We're really looking forward to that. Uh, It's going to be fun to watch who gets nominated, who wins these these uh these Rush Limbaugh Great American Business Awards, wonderful legacy for El Rushpo. We are back on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. I am the talk show host, formerly known as Congressman Jason Lewis. Now back on the radio, which we call a promotion in my household. <laughs> wonderful to be here. one eight hundred two eight two two eight eight two. 282 2882 That's one eight hundred two eight two two eight eight two. 282 2882 By the way, you'll be happy to know that Alejandro Mayorkas said yesterday on Meet the Press that... The border is closed, just in case you were wondering. We'll talk about that in hour two. And I've got a a very, very simple explanation as to why we've got the chaos at the border that we do have and something that was not present uh, when I was in Congress and when President Trump was in the White House. Wasn't it Barack Obama who lectured Republicans a few years ago that elections have consequences? Let's see. Now we've got... Anthony Fauci preaching at the altar of two masks after you're vac- vaccinated, perpetual lockdowns, climate change lockdowns, open borders, tax increases, and $2 trillion stimulus plans on the on the heels of, by the way, $3 trillion stimulus plans. Do you know how much money we've spent on COVID stimulus? I, I hesitate to use that word in the era of Hunter Biden, if you get my drift. Last thing Hunter Biden needs is a stimulus. However, $2.9 trillion in the spring of 20, almost a trillion in December of 20, now another 1900000000000 trillion. Let's see, that's about $5.5, 5700000000000 trillion. While we keep schools shut down, while we keep businesses shut down, while we have put in place this dystopian lockdown that has no end, folks, uh, we need to keep the American dream alive, but we're, our backs are against the wall here. And the reason we've got to cancel culture, my friends, is because everybody knows it. And the last thing that the left wants people to do is complain about forced socialism. It is the ter- it is really, um, I should say, part and parcel for all socialist dictatorships. Think about this: whether you're talking about Stalin or Hitler or uh, Hugo Chavez or the the Sandinistas in Nicaragua or. Fidel Castro in Cuba, after Batista, what is the first few things that dictatorial regimes always do? Well, first thing, they shut down a free press. They tell you what you can say and what you can't say, right? Then they disarm the population, right? Time happened in Cuba, every place, right? Then they... they socialize private businesses. They ban private property. They have state-run education. Then they start spying on their political opponents and then put them in jail. Uh, Any of this sound familiar? This is a crucial point uh, in America's um, history right now. And if we don't start pushing back, and I mean vehemently, um, it's going to be too late. It was JFK, of all people, that wrote, uh, in his, I think it was a master's thesis turned into a book by somebody called "While England Slept," how the creeping tyranny of Nazism was rising and rising and rising, and nobody was paying attention. What's happened in America with the rise of indivisible, with the rise of the radical left of Antifa, of BLM, you name it, while everybody else was looking away, is what we're now facing as it's come to, comes to a head. They think. They can mollify people by giving them $1,400 checks. But that is a fool's errand. A, it's pandering, it's insulting, but B, it will never ever solve our economic woes. The only way to get this economy moving again. You know, politicians at best can be facilitators. At worst, they can kill the patient. First, do no harm should be the rule, not for medicine, but for politics. The best thing that a politician can do and what we did in the first two years of the Trump administration, when I served in the 115th, was to set the stage for economic growth, to deregulate. We had the greatest move to reduce onerous regulations on American business in history in the first two years of the Trump administration. Reduce the tax burden, incentivize labor and capital to enter into the market, and demand will take care of itself. You can go all the way back to John Stuart Mill, and supply creates demand. It's called Say's Law in economic terms. But when you substitute that with stimulus packages, you never get anywhere because of the first rule of economics, opportunity cost. In order for the government to hand out another $2 trillion, it must first take it from someplace. Then, when they take it from someplace, that reduces the multiplier effect. And then when they hand it back out, they say, look at this, we've got a multiplier effect. Frankly, there is no multiplier effect, but that's getting into the weeds. But there is no such thing as a free lunch, folks. All they're doing is redistributing income to the politically favored who will vote for them. I'm Jason Lewis in on this edition of Remembering Rush on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Okay, let's squeeze in a call or two at 1-800-282-2882. I am Jason Lewis in on this edition of Remembering Rush on EIB in Hubble Michigan. Scott, you're first up today. Thanks for hanging on.
2: You're welcome. Uh, thanks for taking my call. <clears throat> what I wanted to mention uh I, I really do miss uh Donald Trump as far as uh I've got I've got uh, I'm a small business and I've got uh patents and I've got products on the market. And uh it wasn't the COVID that slowed it down. It it was Chinese infringement, and <laughs> right, uh, yeah. I, I fought several of those battles, and and it's, the, the playing field is not level.
4: Uh, uh, not at all. In fact, it, I know a company right here in Minnesota, where I'm from, uh, that was was just getting brutalized. Um, they make countertops and things like that, and Trump came to the rescue. It wasn't just the 242 tariffs, or 232 tariffs, I should say, but it was just the basic government policy that, that keeps this unfair competition. You know, isn't it crazy The Democrats want a minimum wage on small businessmen and women, but they think it's just fine to farm out at slave labor wages to China?
2: I, I can't. They can ship and produce the product cheaper than I can even ship it. and I thought that they're, they're subsidizing... The country is subsidizing all the
4: manufacturing. All right. Hour two coming up next on the Rush Limbaugh program.
7: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year. Equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined.
0: How lucky we were to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand.
8: Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts?
3: You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug out plan. Two,
4: I am Jason Lewis, the uh, talk show host formerly known as Congressman Lewis from the great state of Minnesota. Land of 10,000 taxes and riots, the rest of us are locked down. And that continues, by the way, with Governor Tim Walz, who's proving uh, to be every bit as left-wing as Mark Dayton, who proved that we haven't won the war on drugs yet. You should have seen this, Governor. We've had a couple of doozies in Minnesota. Gee, I can't figure out why why everybody's leaving Minnesota, New York, California, and moving to Florida, Texas, Arizona, it's kind of amazing. But if you look at the U-Haul figures, you look at the real estate figures, um, there is an exodus going on. And that is the beauty of what Justice Brandeis used to call federalism, The, the laboratories of democracy. And that is why the left wants to federalize elections in HR one. They want a national economy. They want a national government, not a federal government, because they cannot allow people voting with their feet. And, you know, by the way, th- this is a longtime goal of the liberal left. Um, if you live in a major urban area in America, I don't care whether you lived in Charlotte, Denver, or Minneapolis-St. Paul, there's a regional government there in our metro area. It's called the Metropolitan Council that wants to eradicate local suburbs, municipalities, local autonomy. They want one big regional government so you can't flee. Now Nancy Pelosi, with H.R. 1, wants to make certain we federalize elections so that you can't root out fraud, that you can't have voter ID, that in Virginia they just announced they're going to allow felons to vote. Why? I mean, come on, let's be honest, people. Why, if you don't allow people in prison to vote, that's a disparate impact on people in prison. We can't have that. And it's not just, by the way, they're, they, they don't think it's just people that have paid their due to society. It goes way beyond that one 800 282 is hour two underway. I want to get to the border issue. Russia's got a great comment on that. I want to talk a little bit more about the small business. COVID cases continue to decline. They have dropped like a rock since the first of the year. Prior to any vaccination. And this is key. The, 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 the last word on this has not been written. But if we know anything, we know... The emperor has no clothes when it comes to Dr. Fauci, when it comes to the experts, when it comes to the epidemiologists who have been wrong since day one on this. You could not have thought of, unless it was deliberate, a more deleterious policy on COVID or any particular virus. If you go back to 1968 when there was a bad outbreak, You go back to H1N1, I think it was 2009, Eisenhower had a horrible winter in 57-58, the Spanish flu. We have never, ever quarantined the healthy in the history of this country. But this time, we quarantined the healthy, the young, the school-age children, the college-age kids who had little chance of getting the virus, let alone getting seriously sick. But what did we do to the elderly, the infirm? We deliberately infected them. We did it back asswards. We didn't quarantine the people in nursing homes or congregated living facilities. We infected them, thanks to Andrew Cuomo, who was busy infecting every staffer he could find, apparently. And we locked down the most vulnerable. Let me tell you something, friends. The, the pain, psychological, physical, that we have caused young people in this country is something that should never be forgotten, obviously never repeated. But the people who are culpable of that, primarily the blue state governors getting bailed out in this latest COVID bill, $350 billion worth so they can pay their teacher unions not to teach. They should never be forgiven. God might forgive them, I will not. The mental anguish, the suicides, the drug abuse the self-harm, you name it. What we've done to social, socially isolate the most vulnerable in our society, from the young to the elderly, is unconscionable. And they did it for political expediency. COVID lockdowns allowed the left to punish small businessmen and women they didn't like Attorney General Keith Ellison here in Minnesota was going after rodeos while BLM was burning down 1,500 buildings in the metro area. It allowed them to rig an election, albeit legally, by signing false consent decrees that should have been challenged by state house members and the courts, usurping the power of state legislatures to write election law. Election day is Tuesday? Don't worry. Get your ballot in by a week from Tuesday. It's good. Mail-in ballot? No problem. Proof of identity? We don't do that anymore. You couldn't have crafted a more obvious policy for Democrats to consolidate and concentrate power. That's what the COVID has wrought. That's what the lockdowns were designed to do. And that's why they don't want to lift them. But that would be the best thing for small business about 8 or 9% of this $1.9 trillion COVID stimulus bill was for COVID relief. The rest of it was bailing out the government unions, AFSCME, American Federation of Government Employees, National Education Association. That's what this is about. And now Biden says he's got to raise taxes on people making more than $200,000 a year. Well, that's a lot of small business men and women who, who pay their taxes, their business taxes on a pass-through basis. But don't worry, gang. The new Homeland Security Secretary, Mayorkas, says the border is closed. Maybe we haven't won the war on drugs. The border is closed? What is this guy thinking? This is gaslighting on an epic scale. That's exactly what they've been doing for quite some time, gaslighting the American people on COVID, on the lockdowns on cancel culture, and now the border is closed? You're going to believe me or your own lying eyes, said the Homeland Security Director or Secretary. We have a crisis on the border, 100,000 came through in February, the largest in a number of years, and I'll tell you why we've got it, and it's pretty simple. This is one thing Obama was right on. Elections have consequences. And here is what Joe Biden and company have done since they took office. They've undone the Migrant Protection Protocol, that's the MPP or Remain in Mexico policy that ended catch and release. They undid the Muslim travel ban. They undid the emergency wall funding. They undid the Sanctuary City crackdown. They undid the census count so they can reapportion according to illegal immigrants who now have a vote. They're undoing DACA with Nancy Pelosi's bill. And surprise, surprise, people are listening. And then they're telling people, come here, you'll get tuition, you'll get free health care. This is shocking. The, the, the MPP, this was the Remain in Mexico policy, it was really crucial that the President Trump put in place. It was designed to make certain that the catch and release wouldn't overwhelm the system. We had so many people coming that you can't process them. So they would release them to sponsors. But you want to add insult to injury, friends? The sponsors themselves are illegal. So we get a flood at the border. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security, we don't have the detention facilities to house them, so they have to release them to their sponsors who are also illegal. This is what the Democrats want. I want to be clear about this. This is not a, a, a byproduct of a misguided policy, this isn't an accident. This is what they want. And that's why we've got kids either in detention centers, flooding the border, or released to illegal sponsors. Rush talked about this not too long ago, and here's what he said.
6: I have a theory. I have a theory. You know, the Democrats' concern for the children in the detention centers, I think that the supposed concern and compassion for these children uh, actually is more like they are the equivalent of the homeless. The Democrats have a problem now homelessness, but it's only in Democrat cities. They can't talk about it, as previously discussed. The Democrat candidates can't talk about the record homelessness in L.A. L.A. is run by Democrats. California is run by Democrats. The L.A. City Council is worried and mad the Democrat candidates aren't talking about it. Why would they ever... I'm going to sit there and talk about something that's exclusive Democrat problem. Besides that, Democrats are going to vote in mass in California for Democrats. They don't have to do a damn thing for California to get Democrat votes. They don't have to appropriate an additional dollar for anything. They don't have to ever mention California. They don't have to do diddly squat to get California's votes. So why should they? Now, when a Republican's in the White House, homelessness is always a cornerstone issue. It's always a fundamental attack point for the Democrats, but they can't, because it's a Democrat city problem. Ergo, here come the kids in the detention centers. Voila, the Democrats have their homeless issue. They're calling it something else, but it's the same opportunity to blast the Republicans for no heart, no compassion. Mean-spirited extremism, except it's backfiring on them because the Republicans, i.e. Trump, have put forth legislation to fix the problem. And the Democrats won't go along with it. They want
4: the issue. You know, that just nails it, doesn't it? I mean, that's exactly what the Democrat left has done. And I can tell you, if you want to know why their policy is deliberate open borders, I will tell you why. The proof is in the pudding. I saw it firsthand in Congress when we come back, and then we'll get to a couple of calls. 1-800-282-2882, the number on this edition of Remembering Rush. All right, 1-800-282-2882, that's 1-800-282-2882, the number remains the same as we go on remembering Rush. And so excited about Catherine Limbaugh's uh, business award process that will go forward now at RushLimbaugh.com, the Great American Achievement Award, and they're going to do this every Friday, and Catherine's going to talk to folks. If you missed it in hour one, go back and listen, but it's going to be great fun, and uh, listen on open for Catherine as well so really glad to announce that today to the calls we go in minot north dakota gary you are uh first up this hour on the excellence in broadcasting network hi uh
2: yes jason uh thank you for taking my call glad to do it sir uh i have been trying i, I appreciate this i've been trying to call rush for a little over 30 years and uh like i told your call screener i've uh I've been in business since 1975. I uh, started a uh, cabinet manufacturing company, and uh, one of the things that I've always told my potential customers is that the measure of a person or a business is not how you handle your successes. It's how you handle your failures. And one of my major failures was that... uh, my business, did, uh, we did. we did work in 26 states, and uh, I did a uh, project in Kofu, Japan, mm-hmm. and uh, we had five, actually five projects in Kofu, Japan, and uh, one of the kitchens that we did, uh, because of the language barrier and the cultural barrier, uh, we ended up uh, staining the wrong color. And uh, we found that out. These were only $1,500 kitchens, and uh, uh, we built an entire kitchen or that entire kitchen in one day. We stained it and finished it, and we sent it uh, FedEx. The next day, it cost uh, $4,500 to FedEx it to Japan, and that's how we handled our failure.
4: Oh, amen I mean th- this is part and parcel of the marketplace, and that is failure failure you cannot have success without failure and this is why socialism and these these bailouts I mean you could go back to the housing crisis you can go back to the two thousand and one dot com bubble you can go back to the Obama Biden stimulus that demonstrably failed back when Biden was vice president which he still thinks he is apparently but regardless you you the zombie when the government props up a company it misallocates resources and drags down the entire economy because it doesn't let it fail and the assets be liquidated to more productive uses most people that start a business end up failing once before they they get going it is a crucial part of the process and you couldn't be more correct
2: when i started my business i uh I was young and I did not know what I did not know, and uh, uh, I probably should have quit. Probably should have, uh, you know, called it in. And uh, but I was too hard headed, and I stayed with it. And I ended up retiring after 44 years in the business. Well, congratulations,
4: and- Gary. That's that's fantastic. Uh, we got to move, but thanks so much. And if you've got a business for 44 years, you are in the elite. You are in the absolute elite. But understand the democratic socialism we're up against is exactly that. a, a, a you know we, we, you eradicate inequality by making certain everyone is equally miserable. You bail out zombie companies, they drain capital. You run up debt so that even if you have the right policies, you can't grow because people are cleaning up their messy balance sheets. Socialism never, ever works. Not only is it contrary to economics, it's contrary to human nature, but the point is there's only one way to allocate resources, labor and capital, in the most efficient way, and it has zero to do with government. Rush understood that, and that's why he said people do not want socialism. You know, it, 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 it's it's frustrating, how many times we have to reinvent the wheel? But we do. And you would have thought we would have known it by now. Here's what Rush had to say about folks in socialism and why they don't want it.
6: All of this, eventually, I don't know when and I don't know how, but all of this is going to backfire. And you know why? Because the Democrats are wild E. Coyote. They always blow themselves up. They always step in it. I, I can't predict when it's going to happen here, but they always do. The media will always be there to cover it up for them as well. But they're going to blow this because they blow everything. They blew with the Wallstone Memorial. They've had any number of chances to totally take over and co opt this country. I'm frankly surprised that there is still given everything that's happened, that there is still a viable opposition which is made up of people like you. You're not at your wit's end yet. You're not without your options, and you certainly have not lost all of your power. They're scared to death. But people that have visions of authoritarianism and totalitarian are quite dangerous, and they're not to be taken lightly, so don't misunderstand. But they are going to blow this. It's going to blow up on them one way or another. It always does. And the reason it does is because of the people of this country. The people, the majority of this country is not socialist. The majority of the population doesn't want socialism or communism. And they realize it's being forced on them against their will. And I'm going to tell you something. We have a more active, engaged opposition To the Democrat Party today than at any time in my lifetime. And it manifests itself in any number of ways. I have been frustrated over the years, as I have shared with you, that we don't seem to engage in a real opposition. We just complain. We go vote. We complain. We talk about this or that. Those days are behind us. I think there are a whole lot of people doing a lot more than complaining. And I'm not talking about the conspiracy side of things. I'm not talking about the QAnons, whoever the hell they are and whatever else. I think there is a genuine degree of anger in this country over the specifics of what happened in this election. I think there is a legitimate amount of anger among the American people who voted for Trump who realize or strongly believe that he was cheated. They are livid over the way he was treated for four years. They are livid over the efforts that have been made to destroy him. They're not going away. You have, I think, every reason in the world to remain confident. Now, having said that, the Democrats are going to run everything for a while. And in that, they're going to blow it. Look at what they're doing in California. They're forcing people to leave California. Tech people. They're forcing people out. Now, it's got its downside. Those people are going to other states, they're going to our states, and they're bringing their corrupted policies with them. But the people that have brought liberalism to their states can't even stay to live there. So we've got plenty of opportunity that's going to be presented. It's going to be right in front of our faces each and every day. It's going to require action. It's going to require voting. It's going to require any number of things.
4: Yeah, it sure is. Uh, Rush hit it on the spot right there, didn't he? And it's going to require us to push back against this emerging socialist left. We absolutely have to do that at every single turn. Back with more of Remembering Rush after this. We are remembering Rush from high atop the EIB Tower in Midtown Manhattan on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. I am the talk show host, formerly known as Congressman Jason Lewis. Proud to be behind the golden EIB mic once again. Great to talk with Catherine Limbaugh. Join her on Open Line Fridays as well as we move forward on our Great American Business Award. More on that at RushLimbaugh.com. Now, as I promised, before I get to the calls and then a, a, a couple of more Rush clips, when I was in Congress in the 115th, and we're actually doing things like deregulation, like cutting taxes, like reforming the VA, like closing the border, all of those things. Remember those days? They weren't that long ago. Working with President Trump, we also fixed immigration. The president was busy building the wall. He got okay on remain in Mexico policy to stop catch and release. Catch and release is a byproduct of people rushing to the border, whether they're unaccompanied alien children, minors, or whether they're families. Now, under the Flores consent decree done by Bill Clinton and Janet Reno, you couldn't keep a minor detained for over 20 days. So when they came with a family, you had to release them into the country after 20 days. Trump undid the Flores decree, thankfully. But now we get this surge of minors who are unaccompanied because they know that the detention facilities can't hold them all. Many are, many are over 14, some attached to gangs, and so they're released to sponsors in the U.S., many of whom are illegal themselves. That is chaos at the border. It's a deliberate consequence of Biden's policies because they want open borders. It pads their vote tally. And if you don't believe me, we had Good Lot 1 and Good Lot 2. Those were the names for a couple of bills when I was in Congress that fixed the Flores consent decree, that fixed the Dreamer issue in exchange for $25 billion for a wall. Nancy Pelosi said, nope. If you don't give me everything I want except money for a wall, I won't compromise. And now they've got the House, so they just passed a bill without the wall that gives amnesty to Dreamers. They want this, folks. Bill in Ponca City, Oklahoma, you're on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network with me, Jason Lewis.
2: Hey, Jason, thank you for taking my call. You bet. Thank you for your service, uh, and uh, thanks for helping out with Rush being gone you bet. now. always uh, fun. I've got a great idea, I think, for an app, uh, something as simple as just touching your phone like you do social media, uh, to open up and uh, a direct link to my elected officials and give them my opinion um starting at the state level all the way up to Washington yeah. where i can uh, just ty- type in that i agree or strongly agree or strongly disagree with this issue that's current right now as yeah. a registered voter in this you know area and i'm really I- i'd really like to be able to do that because currently i can only contact them by email or phone Well, believe it
4: or not, we do see the emails and we do get the phone calls. Staff transcribes this stuff. If you've got a flood of calls, they know it. Um, The problem is the swamp when it comes to the trade associations, the unions, the lobbyists who essentially funnel um, the cash for tough reelections. Look. We're going to have to do something, and I think the best argument is term limits. I was uh, in favor of term limits before I went to Congress. I'm a stronger proponent of it now that I've served in Congress. That's the ultimate way to offset the special interest. If you can't run again, you're going to – I saw it happen in the 115th. People that retired voted with more courage. And so um, I think that's the, the final solution, although an app for convenience purposes would be would be rather interesting. Listen, I want to get to a clip that Rush played on – on the, the, the military and keeping the country safe. Secretary Lloyd Austin is is went to Afghanistan to talk about the May 1st deadline to get those troops home. We need to be channeling Eisenhower on, on whether we deploy troops abroad. More on that, but I want to listen to Rush on his reverence for the troops right now.
5: They are special people. It was an honor to be able to talk to them and, and convey what I think to be the... Um, majority sentiments of the of the people in this country. But I want to tell you, when we were Kandahar, Kandahar is the place where there still are skirmishes going on. I mean, there was mortar fire the night we were there. Nowhere near us, but at the base. The base is huge. One of the things that, that I noticed when I had that troop event is that these people would all tell me what, a, what an honor it was to meet me. And I just, you know, I, I thank them. But I'm honest here, folks, I can't tell you how small I felt compared to these. And these are I mean, the age range anywhere from 18 to, to 30 and, and even older. I mean, some of the commanding officers over there have been uh, in a career military, have been around for a long time. And, and I mean, I, I'll be honest. When I got there second day, I was looking forward to leaving. I mean, I it was not a pleasant experience in terms of just living. It was not anything an American is accustomed to. And I had it better than the troops did in the accommodations that I had. And they were nothing to write home about. I'm not complaining about it. It's just the way it is. And I'm glad I saw it, and I knew it was going to be that way when I went. But like anybody else, I was looking forward to the uh, end of the week when it was time to come home. And I met a couple guys in Kandahar, a couple 19-year-olds. The day I did my troop event was their first day. And I said, how long are you scheduled to be here? A year, sir. They both had copies of my books. And they didn't know because they just got there that day. They didn't know that I had an event scheduled there. They showed up, both of them. One of them had uh, one of the books. The other one had the other copy, the other book, and uh, asked me to sign them. And just, just to show you, they were excited to be there. They signed up for it. They were glad they were there. It was, they are glad their training was over, and they'd finally gotten to go. And I'll tell you what I told them at Kandahar in this, in this group toward the end of my one-hour wasn't a speech. Well, I guess you'd call it a speech, but I just... I said, I, I, I want to tell you guys I, I feel very small standing here in front of you compared to what you're you were know, doing. What I'm doing seems insignificant, and I don't mind admitting this to you. And I said, I get older, I have more and more respect for all of you who do what you do. And I think one of the reasons is that when I was your age, I had a chance and didn't do what you're doing. It was Vietnam, and it was the the beginning of the time when the country was turning against that war and, and so forth, and I had a lottery number that was uh, uh, pretty safe, so I really wasn't worried about it, but I didn't join. And You guys have all joined, and as I get older and I continue to mature, and I have a, a greater appreciation for what people like you throughout our country's history have done, and what you've meant, I'm literally in awe of you. You're better people than I am. you know, You know. And I told them the story uh, of the trip I took to Miami to the Versace Mansion. I may not have mentioned this to you folks. It was about, oh, nine months ago, and I was down in Miami with some friends, and they said, let's go to Versace Mansion. I said, I want to go to Versace Mansion. My house is nicer than that. Oh, you got to see this. So we went in there, and I found what I thought, just a bunch of young people trying to pair up and go to the clubs. Twenty, twenty-one 21 years old. I'm telling this story to the troops. I said, the little women are wearing these little mini skirts that barely cover anything. And a guy in the front row said, what's wrong with that? And I said, nothing's wrong with that. I'm not, that's the point. I'm not criticizing. I'm saying this country is, is so magnificent that we can have people who couldn't care less about whatever threats we face. They're just out there having a good time. And yet here you are, same age. I'm in awe of what you do. You could be the same kind. And I'm, I'm not being critical. But you're here. And I just wanted to tell them how much I personally appreciated them and then wanted to convey how much I'm sure all of you do, too. And that's that was the real reason I went over there and I got that done.
4: You know, it's really fascinating because government's first duty, first duty is to keep the peace. The federal government handles external threats, the police powers of the state primarily handle internal threats or criminal acts. That's why it was so unconscionable and outrageous that in Minnesota, where we would only we used to export land of lakes, but that's politically incorrect. You can't do that now. That's been canceled. Now we export riots because we let the third precinct go to the rioters. The government failed in its first duty while it was locking up innocent people, for violating COVID restrictions. If we don't get our head straight on what the first duty of government is, why we give government a monopoly on force, to use it to repel illegitimate force, not to initiate illegitimate force. And that's what Rush was talking about there. And I want to delve into that a little more, then get to some more calls right after this as we continue on, remembering Rush on EIB. You know, next hour, I want to continue with what sets America apart, what the difference between a republic and a democracy. This is really crucial vis-a-vis this debate over the filibuster, the Electoral College, HR1, and all the rest. What we're seeing is the transformation of the country from a constitutional republic to a mob. Let me tell you, the word democracy is nowhere to be found in the Declaration of Independence, nor in the Constitution, because we are not a democracy, If that were the case, we'd just hold up our finger. We don't even need representation. Everybody votes on every issue. And if you get 50.1%, you win and you can do whatever you want to the other 49.9%. That is not a filtered majority that is our republic. I want to continue with that next hour, and Russia's got something to say on that as well. Um, I mean, it's really crucial because that's what the left is trying to do, turn this into a country we would not recognize once again. And it's really true because, well, I mean, his talk about the military a second ago and how important these troops are, and he's absolutely right. I mean, uh, what was the old joke on the old Bob Newhart show? I'm not a veteran, but I sat through a bridge too far. That counts. Although it was a better movie than people gave it credit for. That was the old 1977 movie uh, about the failed mission. In in World War II with Sean Connery and, and Gene Hackman and all the great stars. And it was actually a pretty good movie. But the joke was it was horrible and it was long. But the point is that these people put their lives at risk for a reason. They go to Afghanistan for a reason. They think they're serving freedom. Patriotism is not just a sole devotion to a country or a state. If that were the case... There's a billion patriots out there. American exceptionalism means patriotism is a devotion to an ideal. And the ideal is freedom, that we get our rights from God and we decree certain powers to the government. They don't have rights. And that's the ideal behind a constitutional republic. That power must be limited because no man has the power to rule over another man. Gender inclusive, of course. And that's what's lost in the democratic drive for socialism, reforming everything into a mob. This is what Indivisible was about when they were raiding town halls like mine. This is what BLM and Antifa are about. This is all about turning this country into mob rule. This is what the cancel culture is about, so that you are afraid to run up against the mob. And the only way, to defeat it, is to commit yourself never to bow to the media mob. Never, ever, ever. Never apologize for freedom. Never apologize for your opinion. And tell these people to go take a flying leap. <clears throat> that was that was a watered down somewhat, but you get the drift. 1-800-282-2882 to the calls we go and... Uh, Well, we can go to Chris now. Let's go to Chris and Charlotte, and then we'll get to the rest of the calls next segment. Go ahead.
2: Hey,
9: Jason. Thank you for taking my call. I've been a big fan of yours since your WBT days.
4: Many years ago. Thank you, sir. Very nice of you.
9: So my question is, basically, with all that the Democrats are doing to ensure that they never lose control, what are your thoughts about the odds of actually being able to get the country back on track when it does wake up? Because, like you said, H.R. 1, amnesty, suppressing free speech. My fear is that by the time we do get the silent majority to not be so silent, that there are going to be no ways to turn things around.
4: You're quite right. This is something we warned in 18 in my Senate campaign in 2020, where my opponent, Senator Tina Smith, said we've got to revisit the dangerous role police play in society. The woman who now sits in Congress in Minnesota too, where I served, is now pushing the Equality Act to eradicate women's sports for all the women she purports to represent. These people are radical looney tunes. We haven't seen a, a collection of misfits like this since the bar scene in Star Wars. I'm telling you, this is something we haven't faced before. And if they pass H.R. 1, if they admit D.C. and Puerto Rico, there's no going back which is why they want to get rid of the filibuster. H.R. 1 would federalize elections, so you couldn't challenge an election. Can you imagine a national recount, not just a recount of Florida, but a national recount? It would take months. They want to make certain that that felons can vote in prison. They want to make certain that, that there's no deadline for voting, that you can't pass voter ID even though you have to have an ID to get on a plane. They want to limit states' ability to remove fraudulent uh, voters from rolls. This is what they aim to do. Power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. This is what we're up against. And the filibuster impedes that. But the filibuster is another check and balance that hallmarks a republic. A republic means we have a filtered majority, not just majority rule, a filtered majority, refined with representation and constrained by the separation of powers. That's a republic. They want to remove all constraints on the majority mob to trample everything that a conservative in Charlotte would adhere to. This is dangerous stuff. So how do we,
9: so I mean, what do you think? I mean, I, I don't think there are going to be enough politicians with the intestinal fortitude to make changes. I mean, McConnell and the others, I mean, it's like they're looking at the abyss and they either think that there's going to be something to break their fall or they're just not worried because no matter how the country goes, they're going to be taken care of.
4: Well, unfortunately, I think you've got a point. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. The National Defense Authorization Act, the NDAA, it passes overwhelmingly every every year because nobody wants to be considered against the troops. Um, it's loaded with Pentagon pork, including diversity programs now, unfortunately. But the NDAA was a perfect chance to take away big tech's ability to censor conservative voices by putting in Section 230 repeal. And the Republicans in power today punted on it. And quite frankly, I found that unconscionable. I'm Jason Lewis, back with more Remembering Rush after this. Okay, as always, running up against the clock. Uh, My bad on that one, gang. So we're going to have a short little segment here. Then next hour, more on what it means to live in a republic from El Rushbo. And then we'll get to more calls as well. 1-800-282-2882. Jason Lewis here. Used to be known as Minnesota's Mr. Right. Hmm. Hmm. You know, I was going (laughs) to... I was going to say, "Hey, I live in Minnesota, a state where the final four refers to the last family member representative Omar hasn't married, but I just thought that was a little too much, so I, I'm going to take that back right now. I just you're not supposed to criticize your colleagues, right? <laughs> I couldn't resist. I just couldn't. Um, look, the, the bottom line here is whether it's the filibuster, they want to get rid of the filibuster friends so they can pass HR1 so they can rig elections, quote-unquote, legally. You know, my old buddy, Dr. John Lott, is working on these mail-in ballots in Missoula County, Montana, and believe it or not, they've got a huge issue there. Um, it's all over the place, folks, and we got to face it.
2: Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it...
0: Boy meets World House. Take a listen.
2: We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy
0: Randall. Yay! Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. How lucky we were to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. Why are people still
3: on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand.
8: Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts?
3: You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug out plan. Two,
8: Up to $100. Download the Price Picks app. Use promo code CLAY, that's C-L-A-Y, to get set up and get a deposit match up to $100. Pick more. Pick less. It's that easy.
4: What do I hear? Allie tells me that, uh, that Jeep is going to keep the Cherokee name. They are not going to get rid of it under the cancel culture of uh, a uh, pressure. They're going to keep the name and do some studies or something like that it's such an easy solution folks what jeep ought to do is rename every jeep with the color white the elizabeth warren edition it's white on the outside but she keeps calling herself a cherokee that's as simple as that right is that you know good for jeep if they're standing firm on this there's nothing derogatory about naming a car Uh, after uh, a Native American, for heaven's sakes. But this thing has gone off the rails. And the reason it's gone off the rails, my friends, is because they are trying to distract with censorship what they're doing to the country. That is the essence. We used to call this politically correctness. And I used to tell people back in the days when I was in college, a long, long time ago, when they had those padded football helmets without the face mask, those days. Uh, I used to tell people uh, political correctness is nothing more than the effort to criminalize offensive speech. But, of course, the First Amendment is there for what? Offensive speech. You don't need the First Amendment for speech that everybody loves. Those are called nonprofits. You need need the First Amendment for speech that people don't want to hear but is the truth, otherwise known as talk radio and the Rush Limbaugh program. Welcome back. Third hour underway with the uh, talk show host formerly known as Congressman Jason Lewis. Once again, an honor to be here. I'll be back tomorrow and then the rest of the gang right on through Friday when Catherine Limbaugh joins EIB once again for this really, really cool, exciting new segment, the Rush Limbaugh Great American Business Award. She will take calls from individuals on Friday. You can nominate people at RushLimbaugh.com to keep the spirit of small business alive and well while we can which is really really crucial now imagine imagine that just say oh i don't know in the city of Miami for instance there was chaos over the weekend let's just imagine that for a moment right and imagine that the chaos in Miami <clears throat> destroyed 500 million dollars worth of of structure, of business. Imagine if 1,500 buildings were damaged or torched or destroyed. Imagine if they turned the local auto zone into a war zone. Imagine in the city of Miami this weekend that, that, uh, let's say, they, I don't know, overtook the, the third precinct, and the governor and the city council and the mayor said, go ahead and take it. Imagine if that set off a radical attorney general that was threatening rodeos and law-abiding businesses for violating COVID lockdowns while they let the uncontrolled rioters, looters, arsonists destroy $500 million worth of business, 1,500 buildings, and torch what they didn't like at ground zero. Imagine if news crews were told they couldn't go down there and report it was too dangerous. Now imagine it wasn't Miami because it wasn't. What I described to you was Minnesota, where I live in May of last year. Isn't that amazing that that seems to have be seems to be dead right now? Nobody's talking about BLM, Antifa, indivisible, everybody responsible for what went on. Destroying the Minneapolis-St. Paul area, which we still haven't recovered from, not even close. And yet the media is gaga over the spring breakers in Miami, in Miami Beach. Now, Miami has problems with this every year called Urban Weekend. They have a problem. A gathering of spring breakers or anybody. It's historically been a problem. But the media is trying to prove that, oh gosh, the lack of COVID restrictions is just wreaking chaos. In Miami, no, the governor called in the guard. It took Governor Tim Walls and Mayor Jacob Fry and Melvin Carter four days to call in the guard when Minneapolis was being torched, north and south and Frogtown and University Avenue, you name it. It was total chaos in Minnesota. Public building was not just overtaken. It was handed over to the people. Folks, this is this is crazy stuff. Think about this. While the Democrat authorities in Minnesota last summer were neglecting their first duty to keep us safe, they were locking down law-abiding citizens. You want to know what's wrong with Democrats today? There you have it. We've got to get back to what makes us special and what sets us apart. Here's what Rush had to say about that.
5: I'll tell you law-abiding. how it happened, folks. There are many elements to it. To me, it's a great question. And I think it's a question that nobody or very few people in this country ever ask themselves. You're born here. You take it for granted. You accept that America is what it is. To the extent that you have traveled, you do see the differences, the plus side differences in America. But if you haven't traveled much around the world, you assume everything is not nearly as bad around the world as it is. You don't really have the full-fledged appreciation. And If you're not taught much history, then you really don't ask, gosh, how did this happen? Europe, Asia, been around thousands of years. They should be light years ahead of us in every measure. But they're not. Why? Well, John Adams said, paraphrasing, we've written a document here that's for a moral and religious people. We don't have a document that can handle people who aren't. He knew full well that that, that people lived outside the the realm of religion and morality were going to present problems. The Constitution was a problem to them. That's one element. The other element is that our founding documents establish our origins created with certain inalienable rights by God. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And the great thing about this country is there have been assaults on it from within and it's always survived and it's always come back I mean it came back from the Great Depression, came back from World War One. We survived Jimmy Carter, and it's it's going to be a little tougher to survive this because we've never had this large an assault on the foundation of this country ever. This makes what FDR did look like chump change. The people of this country have been able to use their talents, their entrepreneurial skills because of the acknowledgement, of the origins of freedom. That our freedom does not come from whoever we elect. That whoever we elect is a threat to that freedom. That men do not grant freedom to other men. Men can only imprison and take freedom away from other men. And women too. But I'm using it in the general sense. No other country has a constitution like ours. No other country was founded like ours. It's key to the way we were founded. That's why I continually focus on it. It's the founding principles that are under assault here and being overturned. And America's greatness as we've known it is threatened. And that's why, to me, it's worth fighting for.
4: Boy, amen to that. You know, Rush, uh, as brilliant as he was, was also technologically very, very savvy. As anybody you might know, it was one of his real passions. And when it came to computers, he always had data backups uh, upon backups. He did not risk losing any of that information he used to make the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. It's the reason he always reminded you to rely on iDrive.
6: Say, if you're working from, uh, from home these days, you know all too well how important that computer of yours has become. And you probably know how important all the data on that computer has become. It's not like you have everyday access to members of your company's IT department. I mean, not at home. I mean, you likely the responsible one for your computer and all the data that's now on it, but you shouldn't overlook the need to have a good computer backup because without that data, you're likely to be in a world of hurt if you were to lose it. So make sure that doesn't happen and back up your data and do it with iDrive, as in iPhone, iDrive.com. iDrive provides you with, I mean, really easy-to-use software. You download it to the Internet with that, you immediately start backing up your device. And you can put every device you've got under one account. All those stored files, the important documents, the photos, the videos that you have. Everything can be backed up into one account safely and securely. Your data backup is securely stored on servers that iDrive controls, but they can't get to the data either. Only you can. PC Magazine has given iDrive their coveted Editor's Choice Award for the best backup solution for six years now. And you can't have too many backups. You really can't. And if you're going to go this route, then there's no better outfit that we can think of than iDrive.com. Plan started. Now, get this. This is at 6 bucks a month, less than $6 a month. And when you sign up today... They'll lop 90% off your first year. They're so proud of what they do. They want you. They want you in the iDrive universe. They know there's a lot of competition out there. They want you to experience their backup service and how great it is. And in order to do that, 6 bucks a month, 90% off the first year. Got to use my name. That's all you have to do to get it. Sign up at iDrive.com, like iPhone, iDrive.com.
4: He'd be delighted to learn that iDrive won a seventh Editor's Choice Award this very week. That's an unprecedented seven years in a row. All right, we want to uh, obviously continue our discussion on the cancel culture, on open borders, on the republic and all of that. Uh, Russia's got a great clip on how the left owns education, which is where a lot of this stuff starts. And, And it's what I call institutional liberalism. Uh, we are surrounded right now by corporations who have gone south, by nonprofits. They're the responsible for importing refugees. These vologs. I mean, the President Trump had a halt on refugee status, which is which has really transformed the shape of states like Minnesota uh, into something that the last generation wouldn't recognize, and not just because they're refugees, but because of failure to assimilate in many cases. But most importantly, because of the cost to county governments. When I was running for the U.S. Senate here last year, one of the first stops I made was up in Beltrami County, Minnesota, where the cost of taking refugees was bankrupting the county. So they said, thanks to President Trump, who said the counties have to have a say in this, they said no more. And they were vilified by big tech, by corporate America, by the media, but most of all by the educational institutions, K-12, through as well as the institutions of higher learning, which is the greatest oxymoron uh, we've seen in quite some time. So, I want to get into all of that. Also, squeeze in a call or two at 1 800 282 2882. First up in uh, Big Rapids, Michigan. Jeff, thanks for waiting. You're on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network with me, Jason Lewis.
2: Hey, good afternoon, Jason. And uh, as always, thank you very much for taking my call and for hosting. You. Uh, first, I want to just uh, give a heartfelt uh, condolences to uh, Catherine and uh, the entire Rush. Uh, family of his passing, and uh knowing that uh, we will see him again as a christian man a man of faith i know we'll be reunited one day so that's comforting to know um uh, reason my culture is i'm a small business owner my wife and i are physical therapists started a small outpatient therapy clinic uh in a little town in michigan almost 30 years ago um from from nothing basically um uh, was given no you know handouts or anything like that, just uh, had a dream, had a goal, had some experience, and went for it and it started small and let it let it build a little by little and then we added a fitness center a few years into it and uh you know it just come to a point almost thirty years later where with this whole coronavirus and things um, and have my government my governor tell me that I have to shut down uh, it was just uh, literally appalling uh you know pay my taxes, run a good business, serving my community and to have
4: You know I, when when you know, when people were little in Michigan, they were all told that anyone could grow up to be governor of your great state and sure enough that happened with Gretchen. Yeah. I I'm telling you if that if, if that person can be governor of Michigan, we, Literally that there is a crisis in America.
2: Yeah, as as uh as, as president, former president, and still my president, Trump, would say that woman in Michigan. Uh, it's <laughs> it's amazing, Well, I'm telling but. you,
4: that's not fair to, to other women uh, who aren't as crazy as she is. She, she is so drunk with power, it's scary. And if she had her way, she would assume the power. And that gets to our point about balance in a republic, checks and balances. Democrats today do not believe in checks and balances. They don't believe in the Republican form of government. They believe in a socialist dictatorship.
2: And we've experienced that for a year now. So we have a majority uh, state senate and state uh, representatives. And I've been telling people, do you realize we have not been represented in Lansing because right. of all these executive orders that people falsely say, "Oh, it's the law." It's not a law, you know. And we have not been able to be represented. She has not gone through the governmental process. She has not been open and transparent and shared what's going on. You know, and I'm sitting here as a business owner and, and having to shut down. And uh, you know, I went ahead for a short time, signed up for unemployment. I said, "Heck yeah, right. I've paid into this for years. I'll take some of that money back if you're going Which is exactly what they want down, you
4: to do. I I'm not I'm not criticizing you, and I got to move, Jeff. But thanks for the the tale because let me tell you something, folks. All of this starts with fear. A false fear, but fear nonetheless. Randolph Bourne, who was an anti-war activist before Wilson's war, World War I, the Great War, before we start naming, numbering them, said war is the health of the state. When the the government can get people scared, they can do anything, whether it's climate change, war, or in this case, COVID. And then they assume the power. And it's very, very scary. And it starts with education. And here's what Rush had to say about that.
6: I'll tell you something, folks. The... Truth of the matter is here, the embedded nature of the left wing Democrat Party in big school districts is now so normalized that parents don't even say a word about it when their kids are adversely affected by it. When their kids come home and tell them, hey, mom, I didn't have to take the test today because my teacher gave us the answers to the test today. When the teachers are taking history class and turning it into an anti-Republican hour, an anti-Trump or anti-George W. Bush hour, and then it's a history class, so the, the, the students are given the answers to a history class that's never taught, the kids come home and tell the parents. The parents don't say a word about it because they're afraid if they go to the school and complain that it's going to be taken out on their kids in bad grades. And so it just it just happens. The embedded liberal nature of big school districts is so normalized now, people so expect it that parents don't say a word about it. Look at it this way. A lot of people, a lot of parents can buy virtually anything from anywhere in the world because of worldwide economics. But they cannot use their own tax dollars to buy their kids an education that they want, an education that aligns with their values. It's a crapshoot. The one thing they ought to be able to buy with their tax dollars is the kind of education their kids get, and they can't do it. And they now just have come to accept it. So they look for alternatives. Rather than reforming the public school system, they look for alternatives, charter schools, private schools, taking out big-time loans to afford all of that. Moving. Whatever. Did you see a recent study found that 60% of Americans could not pass the U.S. citizenship test. 60% folks can't. Do you know how easy the citizenship test is? It's one of the easiest tests anybody could ever take. 60% of people born in this country could not pass it. People 65 or older scored best. 74% correctly answering at least six out of the 10 questions. 10 questions in this test. Of those 45 and younger, only 19% passed. And the younger the test takers, the less likely they were to pass. 60% of the people that took the basic citizenship test didn't know which countries their grandparents fought in World War II. Only 24% knew why American colonists had fought the British. I mean, folks, it's scary.
4: Okay, I'm Jason Lewis in today on EIB. We'll be back with more Remembering Rush right after this short pause and more of your calls as well. Stick around, everybody. Still the fastest three hours in radio, the EIB network. I am Jason Lewis. Glad to be here once again. We'll see you tomorrow as well. Then the rest of the gang takes over. Looking forward to Open Line Fridays with Catherine Limbaugh coming up. That is going to be great as we recognize Small business throughout the fruited plain. Glad to do that. To the phones we go: one 2882 eight two two eight eight two. Let's go to Corey first up this segment. Corey, you're on the Excellence and, in Broadcasting Network.
2: Jason, thanks for taking my call. Mega dittos from a thirty year listener, twenty one year three war veteran. Yep. Wow. Yep.
4: Well, congratulations and, to you too.
2: And I had the uh, opportunity to, it was pleasure to meet you up in Hockey Town, USA, when you were recently running.
4: We did very well when I was running for the (laughs) U.S. Senate last year in, uh, well, all throughout greater Minnesota. It is like so many states, the urban core that overwhelms so many states, whether it's New York or Colorado or Minnesota. And the urban core where, shall we put it um, diplomatically, um, vote early and vote often. (laughs)
2: <laughs> and that was from uh james Oberstar. if i'm not uh <laughs> if i'm correct on that. <laughs> a long time uh, uh person up here you know and, i remember uh, going
4: into that last uh, couple of weeks of the race here last year i was down by one according to a channel five poll and uh, everywhere we went in northern minnesota just massive turnouts for the president and bemidji and and my senate candidate a candidacy and then like a microcosm for the country something yeah. happened on election day and a lot of folks uh, are still trying to figure that out, if you get my drift.
2: I, I get your drift on there. And thank you for doing a phenomenal job. And uh, thoughts and prayers out to Catherine and the Limbaugh family.
4: Yeah, wasn't that great to hear from her today?
2: Yeah, and the story from uh, Rush when he was in Kandahar. Uh, most people don't understand uh, what it's like to be overseas and to serve over there and to you know be in the combat zone the whole time.
4: Well, thank you for your service, uh, Corey. So very, very important, and, and that's a true patriot. But let me tell you, you know, what I used to tell people on the campaign trails, the single biggest – we reformed the VA when I was in Congress. We allowed them to, to, to fire bad employees. Um, we, we made certain they could go to private clinics. We did all that. But the single best thing I, as a, a, a member of Congress, could do for the troops was to give them my sacred pledge that I would never send them abroad for regime change for rules of engagement that didn't allow them to persevere and win, and for interests that weren't in the direct national security threat. And that's what the John Kerrys of the world do. They're interventionists at home and they're interventionists abroad. This May 1st deadline in Afghanistan ought to be abided by, and we ought to get out of there and focus on the real threat right now, which is China.
2: And we did not forget our oath when our enlistment ended. We are still defending this country.
4: As you are. I know you are. You always will. Corey, thanks. Good to hear your voice. Let's try Ocala, Florida. Randy, squeeze you in before the next Rush clip. You're on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Hi.
2: Uh, Jason, listening to Rush uh, remind me of how pitiful our civics education is. I'm extremely excited to tell America that one more great thing that Governor Ron DeSantis is doing is implementing a mandatory civics education program, K-12, through 12, back into the education in the state of Florida. And that's one more reason why he is one of the greatest governors in the United States at the moment.
4: Yeah, I served with Ron on the 115th, and man, oh man, has he uh, um, stepped up um, he's done a great job down there. It's it's a, a testament to federalism. People can see that example compared to New York and Minnesota and say, let's do what he's doing, right? Um, they've handled it just perfectly, and they've allowed people, and this is the thing, really. I mean, wh- during the COVID era, what people want is to be treated as adults. And you go back to viruses past, and the public health authorities give recommendations, not mandates. And then they let adults do what they want to do, whether they want to distance or not, whether they want to wear a mask or not, whether they they, they want to get a vaccine or not. Give recommendations and, and allow adults to behave as adults. That's gone by the wayside except for Texas and Florida and a few other places, and that's what's important. And you recall during the Trump years, um Russia or not Russia, of course, he did his part, but the president eliminated the mandatory critical legal studies sorts of educational in- initiatives, the mandatory diversity training, which was code for critical legal studies or critical race theory, it was critical legal studies when I was in graduate school. And and if we don't start making certain that young people, that young people see both sides of every issue. We are going to wake up in that place that folks don't recognize, as we mentioned. And DeSantis is doing a great job, and it's, it's good to see. Everybody ought to emulate it. But if you look at where all of this cancel culture started, it starts in education. And then, because we, we engage in this groupthink and we have a nation of corporate cowards, they go along with it. So we're surrounded again by the nonprofits by corporations, by education, by media, by universities. Everywhere you go, it's a cancel culture. The question for you is, are you going to stand up to it? Here's what Rush had to say about one particular manifestation of this.
6: The Washington Redskins getting ready to change their name. Dan Snyder said they would never, ever do it. The owner of the team. But now he's got pressure from sponsors, his partners. Now there's talk that Snyder may say, you know what the hell with this? I'm just going to sell the whole thing. Just sell the team and come up with a name that's close enough to what it is now that they wouldn't have to change their uniforms because they don't have time to change the uniforms. They don't have time to change all licensed merchandise. They'd have to do something about the logo on the helmet. And they're being pressured by Nike. Nike has pulled Washington Redskins gear from their store. And I got the Cleveland Indians are thinking about changing the name of their team because of all of this. And after all of this happens, do you think people are going to be happy? They won't be. This isn't going to solve anything. These people are going to think they've done something wonderful and great, but it ain't going to change anything. When they change the name of the Washington Redskins to the Red Tails or whatever it's going to be, there isn't going to be any magic happiness There isn't going to be people, oh, man, we're so good. We are so nice. We're so decent. And because of that, you know, it's going to be a letdown. It's going to end up being a letdown because it's not going to have a substantive positive impact. I mean, people will be running around saying it is, but it isn't going to be what they think it's going to be.
4: Yeah, that's 100% correct, obviously. Um, the, the the fact is that what the left is trying to do, and this really started with climate change. When they started, when the L.A. Times said, we are going to refuse to print any letter to the editor that tries to dispute what we know is true, the science has settled, climate change. Now, whether that's even true or not, and I do think there's been some warming, but it's absolutely untethered, untethered to catastrophic global warming, that's why they don't use that term anymore, Uh, the climate, by definition, fluctuates. So where are we in this continuum of millions of years? No one knows. But it doesn't matter who's right or wrong with opinions. It is when the left, like the Times did with climate change, said, we are not going to print letters by climate deniers. You will not be allowed to give your opinion on this that started all of this. And so now what they're trying to do with the stop identity politics dividing Americans by race deliberately, dividing Americans by gender deliberately, dividing Americans by sexual orientation deliberately to cause chaos, to build voter coalitions, to put people in constant fear, now they can not only cancel the climate deniers, why they can cancel anybody that likes the Washington Redskins or the Cleveland Indians or says something that somebody in Elizabeth Warren's family finds objectionable. The goal is to shut you up. These are just means to an end. The overarching goal is to cancel the First Amendment. You must, if you are going to impose this dystopian socialist agenda, you can't have free speech. If they're going to take your property... They don't want you complaining about it, folks. And that's what this is really all about. More of Remembering Rush when we return on the Excellence in Broadcasting Network. Now, did I say still the fastest three hours in radio? Boy, oh boy, we are almost at the top of the hour here. Jason Lewis in behind the golden EIB mic today. So nice to be remembering Rush with all of you. He's got a great little outtake here on uh, being woke in the Monopoly games. I want to get to that momentarily. But let me just, before we do that, quickly talk a little bit about this cancel culture because it is a clear and present danger to the health of the republic. If you don't have free speech in a country, you're not free, period. The first thing that uh, dictators take away is free speech that 's exactly what big tech is doing that 's exactly what corporate media is doing, and now the government is going to do it and you know what 's so sadly ironic about this the identity politics of seeing race and gender and and sexual orientation and trans this or that and everything is racist. I want to repeat that is racist even John Roberts saw it in the famous Seattle. Uh, school case when he said the best way to stop discriminating against race is stop discriminating against race. And yet what did the LA teachers union head label the parents who wanted their kids back in school? Why they were white. Well, a, we don't know that's true, but B, why are you injecting race in this? What do institutions of higher learning from Yale On downward, due to Asian Americans, or they discriminate against them with admissions quotas. The people who are projecting race on everybody else are the nation's biggest culprits. And the result of it is they are plying their trade and nobody's calling them out on it except people like the late, great Rush Limbaugh. And here he is on the Monopoly game.
6: A couple little lighthearted things here. Uh, You know, Hasbro makes the board game Monopoly. And they've come out with a new version called Monopoly for Millennials. And it's really funny. And millennials are fit to be tied about it, apparently, on Twitter. And they've geared this game up to come out just in time for Christmas. Monopoly for Millennials. Newest addition to the Monopoly board game Empire is receiving widespread backlash from offended millennials shortly after the game was released. The game cover is accompanied with the tagline, adulting is hard. You deserve a break from that rat race. It features a cool Mr. Monopoly, you know, the rich guy with the top hat and tails, big round face, Mr. Monopoly. He's taking a selfie, wearing a participation award pinned to his chest, and he's drinking a latte. A camera, a pair of sunglasses, and a hashtag are included among the game pieces. So is a bicycle, (laughs) yoga positions, and so forth. There are no properties for players to buy in Monopoly for Millennials. There is no park place. That's been replaced with a three-day music festival. Other experiences include a vegan bistro you can buy, a bike share, and a yoga studio. There's also no rent to pay, and there's no real estate to buy, because it says in the front of the box, forget real estate. You can't afford to buy it anyway. This is Monopoly for Millennials. The game on the board box recommends that you play it in your parents' basement. Can you believe they did this? This is a major American corporation that is... I mean, they're really shading some of these millennials. They're throwing it right back at them. I'm wondering how this happened. You know, this is this is the kind of thing that you do not see, actually taking aim at at a specific whole generation. I mean, this is a pro- millennials apparently are righteously indignant and profoundly intimidated about this on uh, on Twitter. The game, you know what the price of the game is? Nineteen dollars eighty two cents because that's said to be the first year of the millennial generation, 1982, when they were born. Here's the game's description. Money doesn't always buy a great time, but experiences, whether they're good or weird, last forever. The Monopoly for Millennials game celebrates just that. Instead of collecting as much cash as possible, players are challenged to rack up the most experiences to win... Travel around the game board, discovering and visiting cool places to eat, shop, and relax. Interact with other players via chance and community chest cards, which are super relatable. And players don't pay rent. They visit one another. They earn more experience points. This board game is a great way to bring a fun and relaxed vibe to a party or casual get-together says here the game's theme didn't go over too well with a lot of people. After news of the game started creeping across social media, Hasbro took some serious heat from millennials, reactions from angry millennials, as well as those who just thought the game was in bad taste, flooded Twitter and other social media platforms, calling out Hasbro for the offensive and condescending board game. But despite all this, the game is sold out. You can't find a copy of the game anywhere. To be played in your parents' basement. There aren't any cars or the board pieces are like bicycles and bike racks and no property to buy and no rent because nobody's got any money. So you see, my friends, we have our share of people out there throwing shade at the left.
4: As always, Rush was prescient. Think about this. Monopoly goes <laughs> off the deep end. And what follows? I don't know if it's art imitating life or the other way around, but Wall Street and socially responsibly or socially responsible investing is the latest craze. Forget about returns on the dollar. Forget about your custodian or your institutional investment manager maximizing returns. They're socially investing. Uh, this can't go on. We'll be back to wrap it up. I'm Jason Lewis in on the Rush Limbaugh program. As always, a real pleasure to sit behind the golden EIB mic in the Attila the Hun chair, remembering our friend L. Rushbow, Rush Limbaugh. Uh, My thanks to Catherine Limbaugh for joining us in the first hour and cannot wait for Open Line Fridays when Catherine stops by on a more regular basis. It's going to be so much fun to recognize small business. You know, when you talk about education, though, let me give you a brief parting tip here, at least until tomorrow when we're back, and that is FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in August of 1937 said, quote, all government employees should realize that the process of collective bargaining has usually understood cannot be transplanted into the public service. Hmm.
8: Pure Talk, the cell phone service my family relies on, is now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. As you plan your summer travel, make sure your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Unlimited talk, text, plenty of 5G data for just... $20 a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Go to puretalk.com slash clay and make the switch today. That's puretalk.com slash clay, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Switch to Pure Talk so you can have more money to travel with this summer.
0: More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
4: He has the smarts.